Well, again, good morning, H2O. Uh, my name is Brian Miles, one of the pastors, and I am I'm honestly just really excited about this morning. This has been a, a day that's been on my heart for many months now, uh, a chance to uh, address the topic of, of race in the church, and so I'm pumped to be able to be together again. Before we uh, even get into what we're going to share about today, I want to introduce uh, the guy who's going to be team teaching with me. This is Tori Mayo. Um, Tori was actually, you guys can give him a round of applause. <laughs> Yeah, so Tori is an H2O alum. He's a Bowling Green alum. He was super involved with us as a student. He's, uh, you know, one of the in- most influential students I think that we've honestly ever had come through our church. And then uh, Tori went on a summer project with us. We're going to start telling those of you who are students about the summer projects here soon. He went out to Colorado. He met his beautiful wife through uh, a, a program that, that we put together. So, you know, I like to say that everything good in Tori's life actually is an is end result of That's H2O. True. He's preaching right now. That's right. So he met his wife through this summer project that, that he went on with us at H2O and married uh, Natalie. They moved to Austin, Texas, and they, they planted a church down there, which he'll tell you about a little bit in a minute. And uh, now they have two beautiful girls. That's his wife, Natalie. Um, and so for you students, you know, it might be extra motivation. You could meet your spouse uh, at They're our cute. summer projects. And then those are his baby girls. So And he has another one on the way. Um, and so it, it's, it's really awesome that that Tori took the time to come up here to Bowling Green. Uh, me and him were at a conference together in November, and we started having this great conversation around the topic uh, of the church and race, and I was like, I got to get you to come back and to share with us, because uh, it's so cool to have somebody who's from our own DNA and, uh, and, and just so passionate about this topic. So I am excited. And, and, and we have to be honest as we're here together today. Uh, some of you are new. Some of you, you know, you've been around H2O for a while. And so um, the, the first question that some of us may be asking if we're just really honest with ourselves as well, well, why? You know, why are we talking about race in the church today? I mean, why is that something that we even need to spend a, a, a Sunday talking about? Why is that important? What, what's, what is this all about? Why? And I think that's a, a legitimate question that, that we need to, to answer before we even get into what we want to talk about today is the question of why is this important for us to address as a church? And so I want to start off just giving you two uh, what I think are really important reasons as to why we're talking about church and the race and race together this morning. And the first one is this, you know, unless you live, uh, unless you live in a cave, unless you never watch any TV or don't, you know, follow any social media, you know that race relations are something that is extremely uh, uh, controversial, something that, that is in the forefront of what we are talking about as a nation right now, right? It's a topic that's coming up over and over and over again as we're going about our daily lives. And so it's something that, that's out there and, and talked about very often. In fact, 63% of Americans say if you ask them, would you say that race relations are good or bad? 63% of Americans say that, that, that race relations are generally bad. Okay? That's, that's crazy to think about. 63% of us in this country say, in general, when you think about how we interact together as people of different cultures, different races, in general, it's bad. And a majority of Americans say, not only is it bad, but it's not even headed in the right direction. It's actually getting worse, okay? And, and so it's a topic that's out there a lot, but it's also a topic that, that's on our minds, and we don't really feel that good about the topic when we're, when we're honest. And so maybe even some of us are just slightly uncomfortable as we're here today. I want to put you at ease. Don't worry. You know, this is going to be a time for us to come together and, and hopefully find peace with one another. Um, but we believe as a church that we need to actually engage in topics that actually matter. 
If you've been around H2O for any amount of time, you know that we, we try our best not to just play church, you know, come here and feel good about ourselves and then leave and not have it affect us. We believe that, that we're a church that needs to actually interact and engage with, what, with real issues that are going on in our world. And so this is a real issue, and the Bible actually talks about it, and so we feel like it's important for us to talk about. That's the first reason. It's a real issue, and we need to engage with it. And then the second issue is, is this. The second reason why we're talking about it is this. I honestly believe that we need to educate ourselves and understand one another even better. We need to educate ourselves and understand one another even better. Uh, this is just facts. It's not opinion. If, if you look at Bowling Green as a town, as a city, it is primarily white. If you look at our campus, it is primarily white. And of course, there is nothing wrong with that. Again, I want to put your mind you know, at ease. This isn't going to be like white guilt Sunday. You know, This isn't going to be a Sunday where we beat up on each other. You know, That's that's not what we're trying to do here at all. But it's important that we educate each other because the reality is that, that whites in this country and people of color in this country have had two very different experiences. That, 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 that's a fact. That's not opinion. And, and so it is so important for us to come together and listen to each other and try to understand each other because uh, if we're not able to fully understand each other, then we won't, won't be able to actually have a meaningful, real conversation about this topic. And so the goal is to educate. And that's even why I, I asked Tori to come in because he obviously has a very different perspective than I have on this topic. And, and, and so we might be tempted to say, well, well, Black History Month, you know, isn't for me to talk about or to celebrate but race isn't an issue or whatever the case may be. But the reality is, no matter who you are, if you're here and you care even a little bit about God, you care even a little bit about the Bible, we need to understand how we can interact, love, listen, and understand one another. And it's interesting because the church has, has talked about this issue many times over the last hundreds, even thousands of years in its existence. And I believe oftentimes with good intentions, the church has, has actually mishandled this, this topic. And, and even up to modern day, I would say oftentimes the, the church has probably great intentions, but has maybe mishandled this topic to some extent. And, and in general, the, the attitude that the church has kind of taken is just, can't we all just get along? You know, like, like we're all the same. Um, we, we, we're all children of God, so let's just all get along. Let's just all try and kind of look as similar as possible, sound as similar as possible, behave as similar as possible, and, and everything will be fine. Can't we just get along? We're all children of God, you know? And, and that's the, the, the kind of angle that many times we come at this topic from as a church. But even as Tori and I have talked, and, and as I've learned more and as I've discovered more about this issue, I don't believe that that's the best way forward to actually talk about the issue of race and the church. I don't believe it's, it's the best thing to just say, can't we all just be the same? Uh, because really, we're not the same. And it's okay to say that. You know, of course, we're all human, and, and so in some sense we are, but, but there are differences among us, and that is actually a good thing. And so as a church, we don't want to have this mistaken call for just assimilation and sameness. But instead, what we want to do is we want to celebrate diversity. We want to figure out how there can be unity in diversity and how that brings us together to actually recognize that. And so as we're kind of laying a framework, I wanted to start off with sharing this verse in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. This is, this is such a powerful section of scripture when it comes to so many different issues that, that, that are going on in our country and our world right now. Not just the issue of race, but, but, but it definitely applies to that. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. It says this. 
is talking about God and, and creating the whole world. And, and it's right after uh, God creates man and woman. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and the wild animals and over all the cre- creatures that move along the ground. And so here's, here, here it is. Here's the most important part of this text. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Okay, this is powerful because here's what it means. It means if you are a human, if you are a living, breathing human, no matter what your background is, no matter what your situation is, you have a special place in the order of creation. And it is the very pinnacle of the order of creation. Everything else, the, the, the plants, the animals, everything else, it's beautiful, it's valuable. We need to steward that as humans. That's part of our job is to take care of those things. But everything else pales in comparison to the beauty of a human being, every single human being. Because why? We are image bearers of the God of the universe. Every single one of us were image bearers of God. And that distinction, it was set aside for man and woman. And yes, God even says, you know, male and female, he created them both. And so as you, as an image bearer, in that moment when you start to feel like you're inferior, in that moment when you start to feel like maybe you're a failure or a burden, in that moment when you look at somebody else and think, I'm just slightly better than them, you can be reminded of this verse and say, no, every single one of us is equally an image bearer of the God of the universe. And this verse grounds us and it reminds us that we are amazingly valuable. We have dignity beyond what we can imagine. And that dignity and that worth, it was given to us by God. And that's why we keep it no matter what, because it's not given to us by the world. It's not given to us by our family or by our culture, but it's given to us by God. Therefore, every single one of us, we have uniqueness, we have value, and we have unity in understanding the dignity of God. And so I asked Tori to kind of take over from there and share a little bit about the difference between assimilation and understanding what it looks like to value the different cultures and how that plays in to uh, us being made in the image of God. Yeah, amen. How are y'all? Good. It is a cold in this joint, all right? This is a, I am from Austin, and I am not used to this. I'm also going to adjust this to 6'4 height. Is that all right? All right. Good. Hey, welcome. I'm glad to be here. So I really do. This is a topic that's special to me and dear because I do think that there is this concept where we begin to think about uh, uh, how do we unify? How is it that we love one another? How is it that we uh, enjoy each other's fellowship? And just like Brian said, I think that oftentimes we mistakenly think that, hey, we're kind of all the same. Let's just all get along together. And I would argue that actually our difference is something that was designed specifically by God, uniquely, intricately woven into our DNA so that we can glorify God in our differences so we can have unity in diversity. And so I think that that's an important Important groundwork to lay because we are all different and we do have different experiences and different cultures and different ways of expressing things, right? And so even just to give you a little bit of my personal framework so you know where I'm working from, 
I just want to share three stories with you, okay? This is not to create white guilt, once again, okay? This is not to create, this is to show you that, hey, my background, my experience is probably a little bit different than some of y'all's, and how is it, sorry, Austin, Texas, I know, <laughs> just bear with me, all right? You'll hear a lot of that, okay? Uh, but, but what does that look like, right? Like, like how do you, how do you uh, integrate in that way? And so three different stories, one of them uh, being that when I first moved down to Austin, uh, and I'll share a little bit more about my BG background later on. But first moved down to Austin, I'm working in a church, and I had on a do-rag, all right? For those of you who don't know, it's a little wave cap. Some people call it, right? You wear them. I'm half black, half white, and my hair is very black, you would say, okay? And so I had on a do-rag, and I just forgot. When you got the showers, what you put on, especially back in the day when having waves was what looked fresh, right? So I wanted waves, wanted to be swag, right? And so we put on the wave cap, and I'm walking in, and there's a woman who is probably about 45, and I walk into the office, and she said, what are you doing? I was like, coming to work. I don't know. This is right. I'm working for a church right now, and she said, take that off. And I thought, oh, gosh. Like, what do I have on? Like, do I have on, like, some, like, crazy offensive shirt or what's going on, you know, kind of looking around. I just forgot I even had it on. She was like, you're not a gangster. I was like, what? what are you talking about? She was like, that thing on your head, you're not a gangster, right? I said, oh, is that, is that what you think? That black people, like, they wear this when they're trying to look like a gang? Like, that's not actually what this is, right? And so I began to explain to her at that moment, now, you got to think, I'm already 24, and I've had this my whole life right now. I can come at it from a Christian perspective, but there's honestly ignorance there, and ignorance is okay. I'm ignorant about a lot of things. I don't understand the Asian culture well, the Middle Eastern culture well, but there is this assumption that, hey, if you wear this, you're hood, right? So I'm walking up into church, right? And I'm ready to just read my Bible, and all of a sudden, like, I'm hood. And it may be even a little bit frightful for her. Why? There's just a misunderstanding. It's hard just to jump in and get along when there's already a misunderstanding, right? Story number two happens about three months later. Once again, I'm a pastor at this church, and I'm driving, okay? I'm going 48 and a 40, and this road is very strict, so I get pulled over by a cop. I know that. It's like 1130 at night. I just got done playing basketball, and he pulls me out and says, hey, like, what, you know, what, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, yeah, I was speeding. Sorry. And he's like, well, apparently you don't know how to respect authority. I was like, sure. Like, I don't know what that means, but I was speeding, so I apologize. And so he said, sir, get out the car. Like, uh, like I, I was speeding. I, I didn't really do anything, you know. So, sir, get out the car. So I get out the car, standing there, and he says, uh, uh, apparently you don't know how to respect authority. This is the fifth time you've been pulled over for speeding. I was like, no, no, that, that didn't happen. I've only been pulled over once for speeding. And he was like, well, that was by me. I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> like, that's, that's nice, but that didn't, like, five times, you know. And uh, so we're sitting there, we're kind of talking a little bit. And at one point, I, I had my hands like this. And I just folded my hands, and he drew his gun out on me and says, get in the car, right? Put your hands on the car. He starts yelling at me. So I'm, like, terrified, okay, because maybe that was common protocol if you make a quick move, right? But what is going through my brain? Well, my cousin got shot by a cop. And there were other people that I know that have had that impact by then. So now all of a sudden, I'm having to wrestle with all these things that are going on in the past. And I'm sitting there like, hey, hey, sir, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor, he said, why are you dressed like that then? You're not a pastor. I was like, I, I just came from playing basketball, man. Like, we don't wear a suit and tie when we're playing basketball, you know. Where are you a pastor at? I said, Hill Country, Bible Church. He was like, no, you're not. I said, 
I mean, you can get there on the website right now. And he said, well, I go to Hill Country, and I've never seen you there. And I would know if I saw you, because I would know. I said, for, be, because I'm black, right? It's a mostly white church, okay? And he said, if that's what you want to think, sure. I said, well, apparently you haven't come to church in the past four weeks, because I did announcements all four weeks. So, all right, and then that's, when, that's how you get shot, right? It's a little bit, okay, but like all of a sudden, okay, no, I'm not right. I think that 99.8% of the cops are in a good uh, uh, framework. They try to help, they try to protect, but I don't know if this is part of the 0.2% that want to use this power, and that's what's going through my brain. Last story real quick is literally three months ago, I'm walking at UT, sorry, University of Texas, okay, uh, hook them, all right, so we're walking, and we're going down, and there's a couple that's coming, and I give him like the gentle, polite head nod, you know, and as we're passing, he says to his probably high school age daughter, see, that's why I don't want you going here. Uh, The campus is just filled with a bunch of coons, all right? Now, how is it that I, first of all, as a half black man, I'm not even fully black, right? But how is it that I now just walk into a mostly Caucasian context and just fit in knowing that these are three of literally 30 stories that I can tell about my past? It's hard to say, hey, let's just get along when we have all of these things going on. Now, listen, real, real talk. The cop could have been following protocol, but that's hard for me to believe and know knowing what's happening. That man could have been talking about something totally different, and they could have saw a raccoon. I don't know, right? But literally, like, there are all these things going on. Why? Okay, so you have this problem. We know that there's an issue, and I think that Scripture actually speaks to this issue. And here's my what we want to do today to help you understand. I think that only when we understand the gospel can we actually understand race and culture and know how to tackle it from a biblical perspective because Christians are in by far the most uh, uh, privileged position to be able to tackle this issue and to do it well and to highlight the beauty and the glory of Christ through the process. And I think that when we understand, hey, there's an issue, there are people that have things that have happened to them like me, there are people that have stories, and we are able to humble ourselves, understand we're able to see something about the glory of God. And so I want to walk us through Scripture, okay? We're literally going to start in Genesis, end in Revelation. We're going to do it in about six minutes, all right? Don't worry, all right? I know that I came grew up in a black church. Sometimes you preach for two and a half hours. We won't do that today, okay? Um, here's what I think. I think that uh, we know that because sin exists, there's this problem called racism or ethnocentrism or isolationism or whatever word you want to use. There's a problem that exists, and we see it happening in our culture. Literally, the Bible opens up with a possibility of there being that very issue right out the gate. So if you have your Bible, go to Genesis 4, and it will also be on the screen, too, if you want to follow along there. So if you know this story a little bit, Adam and Eve get kicked out the garden, Genesis 3. They have Cain and Abel. Cain goes in anger and kills his brother Abel. And then God is talking to him. And Adam sinned and God kicked him out of the presence of himself or out of the garden. Cain sinned and now God's going to kick him out of the presence of himself or where God is. But before he goes, Cain has this fear, right? And this is where we pick it up, verse 13. It says, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a, what, fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. 
Now, the Lord then goes and marks him and says, hey, not so, right? But Cain seems to be afraid that he is going to, to some extent, be an outsider. And because of that, he's actually going to not just get discriminated against, but literally killed because he is an outsider. Why? How do people know that he's an outsider? Like, like how do they know that, right? Because, like, if I came in here and I said, hey, guys, like, I live down the street. I'm from Bowling Green. You would have no idea. That could be true until I said, y'all. That would show me, right? But, like, how do they know? It must be that already maybe there wasn't necessarily race the way that we tend to think of it. But what was probably happening is that they were in camps. They were in cultures. They were in clans or family units. And when Cain got kicked out of that family unit, he ends up being a wanderer, a foreigner, a stranger. And then he is afraid that somebody else is going to kill him. Why? Because he's different than them. Literally, right away in Genesis 4, we see there's a possible, uh, uh, there's at least a suspicion that we can have that, hey, maybe race is involved in here. So whether or not this is the first instance, we know that it's clear and vivid throughout Scripture, don't we? I mean, think about Exodus. What was happening here? The Egyptians were enslaving a race, a culture, the Jews. Why? Scripture says in fear of them. The Egyptians held themselves as authority, as better than, and so they enslaved the Jews. Or what about the Assyrians and the Babylonians, if you will? You go later in the story and there's all this conflict and there are clear differences and they set themselves apart literally because of where they are from. Or what about what the Romans thought about the Jews? The Romans enslaved the Jews. And as you go on in the story into the Gospels, that's where we pick up. That's where our Savior is born into that uh, uh, frustration, that time where the Jews wanted freedom. Or what about what God's people, God's beloved, God's chosen, the Jewish nation, what about what they thought? about those dirty, pathetic, half-bred Samaritans. Like, remember how Jesus had to keep working with them, would even tell stories to make the Samaritan the hero, but the Jews hated the Samaritans. Why? Because they were half-breeds, half-Jewish, half-from-Assyria. And so all of a sudden now you see literally, even in the place that Jesus steps into in human history, there's this problem of racism or culturalism or classism or whatever it may be. We see that there is a problem. So it's clear that it's not just whites, blacks in America. It's happening even all across the world right now in India or in China or in Africa. There are all these problems where we see that racism exists. We see that people are at odds against one another. And Scripture says the reason that it's happening is because we are a sinful people. In our hearts, there is something corrupt, and we don't want to own up to it. But if we own up to it, we're able to realize that, hey, there is indeed an issue. We are a people who have to find justification or righteousness or approval in any way, shape, or form. And if we do not find it from the God of the universe, we'll find it in another way. And race is just one of those ways in which we try to find it. Another way is classism. If you're more rich, maybe you look down on the poor. Another way is, uh, like, even just in college, right? Like, I remember I came in as an athlete, and I kind of thought I was better than the band people. Why? Because they're band people, right? And literally, I set myself up. Why? Sorry, I offended half of you in here, right? (laughs) 
But like, what's going on? I'm setting myself up. I need justification. I need righteousness. I need approval. And if I don't know how to find it from the God of the universe, I'll find it in another way. And that's all racism is, is you trying to find some sort of approval, of acceptance, of superiority. And so you set yourself up against another person. And this is not how it was supposed to be. This is not how God intended it. He intended for unity. So you fast forward from Genesis 4. If you go to Genesis chapter 12, this is where God calls out Abraham. And in chapter 12, verse 2, it says this. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, listen, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God immediately starts his redemption story trying to unify all the families of the earth, trying to draw in all of the races, classes, tongues, tribes, nations. Why? Because this must be glorifying to God. Literally, in God's redemption story, he's trying to do that. And so instead of saying, hey, let's just all get along. Hey, let's just kind of jump in. What happens? That creates assimilation. You say, hey, come into my culture and kind of be like me. Right? Hey, let's just, let's just go forth as if nothing is different. Right? What if Christians tackled this instead in light of the gospel? What if we knew, hey, there's an issue. There's something wrong with my heart. There's a reason why I want to set myself up as superior. Even if I try to suppress that, it still tries to creep itself back up. What if we knew that the problem was? But what if we knew there was a solution that's only found through the cross of Christ in our Savior, Jesus? Most of you know Ephesians chapter 2, and you can go there if you want. And while you're going there, I'll talk about it. Most of you know Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1 through 3, it talks about how we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But verse 4, God being rich in mercy gave us Christ. And through belief, through faith in him, we can be saved. So verse 1 through 5 says, hey, we are made right with God through the cross, through, through the blood of Jesus. And man, amen, hallelujah, that is true. That is the most important point of the gospel is that Jesus can reconcile us to God. Amen? Hey, it's okay. Don't worry. All right. I tell this joke all the time. I grew up in a black church, okay? And man, people would be hooping and hollering, hey, amen, come on, preach, right? I know what it's like. In a white church, it's like, hmm. There's no taking, okay? So I get it, all right? I get it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not scared, all right? We'll, 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 we'll keep growing together, okay? All right? So most of you know, right, Ephesians 2, God makes himself right with us, right? Verse 8 and 9, is not by our works, but by uh, uh, his works that we are saved. It's by grace through faith that we are saved. Verse 10, you are God's poema is the Greek word. You are God's poetry, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Man, amen. The gospel tells us we can be made right with God. But then most of us stop there in chapter 2. But it continues going on into verse 11 through 22 that says, hey, not only does the cross make you right with God, but it also makes you right with one another. Right? And so pick it up there in verse, I'm going to read 13 and 14. It says, But now in Christ you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Listen, for he himself is our peace who has made us both, what's that word? One. And has broken down in his flesh 
the dividing wall of hostility. And he goes on to talk about Jew and Gentile. So first of all, yes, we're separated from God, but we also were separated from each other because of sin. Sin makes us set ourselves against each other. Sin uh, uh, makes us have war against one another. Even Adam and Eve in the garden, they blame each other. They're at odds. Adam was singing, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And then he fails like the woman you gave me, Lord. Right? And I would have been like, yo, son, bye. Adam 2.0, right? That's why I'm not the Lord, okay? So literally, Adam wars with Eve, even right there. Genesis 4, Cain wars with his brother. Genesis 4, we see Cain being afraid. And there's all this hostility between man and man because sin doesn't just affect our relationship with God. It affects our relationship with each other. But the cross of Christ doesn't just fix our relationship with God, but it also fixes our relationship with each other. Now, all of a sudden, in the cross of Christ, we can break down the dividing wall of hostility and be unified in this beautiful, beautiful way. God brings forth redemption, not just between him and us, amen, he does, but also between us and us. And he draws us into unity. Colossians 3.11 says, we are now all one in Christ. There is no more uh, female or male or Jew or Gentile or Scythian or barbarian, but we are all one. Now we know that male and female still literally exist. We know that Jew and Gentile still literally existed, but now we can have unity, listen, amidst our diversity. We can be one, even though we're very, very, very different at times. Because of the cross of Christ. And so we want to find a better way. And the gospel, we say, changes everything because the gospel destroys our need for self-exaltation. And it allows us to be humble and to be teachable and to see the glory of God. Now, we're in Ephesians, but how does the story end? Okay, We see that there's this gospel tie, but go all the way to the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 7... We see this picture of heaven. And in verse 9, it says this. And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they end up crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They are all worshiping Jesus together. Now, Real question, okay? Real question. When we got to heaven, when we get to heaven, couldn't God just, like, turn us into all Jews? Right? Like, like if that's what he wanted. Or couldn't he turn us into, like, a non-race, like the angels? Angels don't really have a race, right? But God doesn't do that. What does Revelation 7 tells us? He leaves all tongues, tribes, nations, peoples are literally left in their individual tongue and tribe. So even you think about the tongue, that's like a subset within a subset, right? Like there are places in China where they speak Mandarin, but then you dive down deeper and they still speak Mandarin, but they also speak their own subset. Then you dive down even deeper and they have colloquialisms and this weird intimacy that happens in between cultures, kind of like how black people have Ebonics right? Which I probably used too much today already. Should explain that more, right? Like literally, you have actually have subsets within subsets, right? God leaves it there. Why? It must be, listen, that tongues, tribes, cultures, races, it must be that it glorifies God. Because if it didn't glorify God, it wouldn't be in heaven. And it must be that in the way that it glorifies God is it actually showcases the whole unity of God when we all come together and are unified underneath the banner of the blood of Christ. 
okay? I know when I grew up, my mom half, or my mom's white, dad's black, so I'm half and half. They got divorced when I was eight, okay? And I see the way that cultures are so intrinsically different from each other. It's not just that we do different things. Literally that, even in our, like, the way we act, the way we talk, the way we do things for fun, like, that's very, very different, okay? So they get divorced, and my mom went to what you would call kind of a stereotypical white uh, context. My dad went to, like, a stereotypical black context, middle of Detroit, suburbs, kind of out in a farm, okay? And so when I was with my white grandparents, we would do things like go camping out in the woods, play in the river. You know how many other black kids I saw out in the river like, ha, 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 right? None, okay? Let me just answer that for you. There was nobody, okay? It was all white people. Why? That's just part of the context. That's what, what they were doing for fun. No black people from Detroit is like, hey, let's go out to the woods and hang out in the water, right? Like, it just didn't happen. Then the next weekend, I'd go over to my dad's house, and we'd have this huge barbecue, and there'd be like 307 people over, all of them somehow cousins. I've never seen them before. I never saw them afterwards. When we were hanging out and having a good time, right? Like literally, even the way that we do things for fun, the way we think, I saw there was such difference. Okay, why? What's happening here? When I am in this black context, this black culture, I am actually able to see something about God that I'm not able to see in the white context, and vice versa. When I'm over here, I'm able to see see the glory of God in ways I couldn't overhear. When all cultures come together, we express the fullness of the glory of God because God created us different, yet unique, and it's a way that we can glorify him. This is a beautiful thing. And so now we don't have to say, ah, let's just all get along and, and let's just all come together. No, 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 no. Now we can actually begin to unify amidst our diversity, particularly as believers. Why? Because it shows us something about the God that we worship. God has intricately woven his DNA into all of us, but what if it's in slightly different ways? What if we literally need each other to see the full picture of God? I mean, isn't that the whole story of the New Testament? The church coming together and using all their gifts to build up the body to show the fullness of God. It's true. And so what we call for then is not assimilation, it's not, hey, let's just all come in. Rather, it's unity amidst our diversity. Why? Because it shows us something about the beauty of God. Just like when male and female come together, and a lot of times there's these intrinsic differences that happen, we actually get to see God in his fullness when we come together in that way because the Imago Dei was in both of us, Genesis one twenty six tells us. What if that's true with cultures too? What if we aim to begin to create the kingdom of God in heaven on earth as it is in heaven. You know, like Jesus prayed. Like, like what if we began to long for Revelation 7-9 to happen, even in our context, so that we can begin to see the fullness of God? Like, like wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Because now we no longer have to feel ashamed. Listen, white people, I, I know, right? Like, our culture sometimes kind of almost pitch you as the enemy you should be proud that God made you white. That's how God wanted to showcase the DNA in you. Man, black man or Asian woman or, 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 or whatever culture you may be, don't you realize that that was God placing his fingerprint upon you, breathing in you the breath of life to showcase who he is? What if instead of coming together, what if we were humble and learned from each other? And that's what I want to talk about because I'm going to have Brian come back up because I think that, the question is, here's the gospel, okay? Here's what scripture tells us. We're fallen, but in Christ there's redemption. How do we apply that? 
how, what do we do with this knowledge? How do we apply that into our church today? And I feel like he has a better situation on what's happening here in the context of Bowling Green. What does it look like? How do you apply these truths? Okay. Awesome. Man, yeah. Don't you guys think he should come back home? Just come. <laughs> I've offered him a job. He won't, he won't take it. He says, it's way too cold, man. It's way, way too, too cold. cold man. <laughs> he won't leave Austin. All right. Yeah, um, just a couple of things as we're, we're wrapping up here today. Because I, I think that I know even Tori's heart is not just, again, that we come and we hear some cool thoughts and some information, but that, that this would actually change us as people and as a church. And so um, I, I just have three kind of applications because I think we shared what do we want you to know you know, we, we shared that we need each other to fully understand God, to fully understand the heart of God. We need all of us to come together. So now what do we want us to do? You know, so the, the application piece of this, and, and I want to just share three things, three, three simple things, but three things that I feel like if we honestly did them, it would change things so much. And, and the first one is this. We've talked about this word a lot today. Be humble and listen. All right. Be humble and listen. I know that, that, that it can be so easy to be defensive with this topic. Yeah. You know, it can be so easy to kind of have your wall up, to think that you know the context, you know the situation on all sides. We all feel that way. Mm-hmm. It's a human condition. It's not a black or white or, or Latino condition. It's, it's a human condition to, to be prideful. And so I think if we start with a place of humility and, and listening and asking questions, you will be amazed how much progress you can make in, in understanding other people. Uh, the Bible says that, that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Mm-hmm. And so anytime we come to a, a, an area, a conversation around race, I think the first prayer that we have to say is, God, just help me listen and help me be humble. God, help me to realize that, that the context that this other person came from is not my context, and so I have something to learn. Not just something to share, because you do have something to share, but something to learn. Mm-hmm. And if we start there, it will be amazing what we can learn. Can I share a personal yes, story there? Yeah, yeah, jump in. One of the things that was huge for me coming to H2O was I came, like I said, out of a black church context, okay? So I come into H2O, and I'm used to a church being like four hours long, this is like super systematic and approached and like we start on time, we do song, we do this, right? And I remember sitting there my first couple of Sundays and it was me and my friend. And I remember in black church, man, you would, you would be getting it, right? So the spirit was moving, we call it. Pastor would preach, you'd be like, amen, right? And you'd be ready to go. And I came to H2O and it was like, and I was like, yo, these people don't love Jesus, <laughs> and I'm not even joking. Like, that was honestly like, man, they, they must not really know the Lord then. Like, he told how me can that. You, yeah. <laughs> did I really? No. I was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, like, like, how is it that we, right, can experience the God of the universe and not be like, hey, let's go, right? But what's happening? My culture's coming out. The way I was raised is coming out. The way I think about God is coming out. Is God boisterous? Well, shoot, Zephaniah says that he sings over us with loud praises and dances over us. God's dancing, right? He's doing the black woman dance, okay, over us, right? He sings over us. Is God meditative and reflective? Well, man, be still and know that he is God. Is God somber at times? Is he systematic? I mean, look at your body and how many systems are in it. Is he also very explosive and, and, and powerful? Yeah, right? So... Here's two church cultures. Instead of thinking, man, 
these white dudes don't know what it's about, right? Or instead of trying to come in and change, I was able, by God's grace, to come in and be a learner. And I actually began to grow way deeper in my relationship with God because I began to see him in those ways. I mean, y'all see me. I'm expressive still, right? But I'm able to also still sometimes and think about who God is. And that happened by being humble and by being able to listen and being able to be a learner. Awesome, man. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, and, and man, man, even just as I look at Tori, it's like that's what our, our desire is as a church, that we would be able to raise up men and women and, and send them out to do things that, that we can't do from here. And the, the multiplication process is an amazing thing to be a part of. And so, um, man, I'm just proud of you and so humbled to, to, uh, to see you in, in this context. So, um, so be humble and listen. Um, secondly, I think we need to intentionally build relationships with people different than us, okay? It, 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 we shouldn't feel guilty that we, t- we generally, you know, move towards people that think like us, look like us, act like us. That's, that's, that's again, a human thing. That's okay. But if we want to actually learn, if we want to actually grow, then it will take intentionality for us to say, I want to get close to somebody that's different than me. I want to do what Tori said and actually learn from somebody that has a different culture, a different perspective, a different understanding and build real friendships. And it is so much easier to not get offended by somebody that you're friends with than, than, than a total stranger. Mm -hmm. And so be proactive about actually going out and being friends with people. You know, Tori is making jokes about us being a white church. My desire is that we wouldn't be a white church. My desire is that we would be a church that is full of the diversity uh, of what God has. When you look at revelation and you see that picture, it would be that heaven would come to earth here. And so I love that we have a little picture of that. I was telling Tori, it's like, it's crazy to think that in Bowling Green, it's not that diverse of a town. And so when you go to H2O, it's literally one of the most diverse places in, in the city, which is sad to say. But I want to see that continue to grow and see those friendships foster and continue so that we can get a full picture of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And then third and finally, and, and I'll let you wrap up after this. Uh, we've tried to stay away from, from the political side of a lot of this because I think that we have so many different spectrums uh, in, in that world, and that's a, a beautiful thing as well. But I think third and finally, we have to speak up when we see something wrong happen to a brother or sister uh, yeah. of a different background, of a different race, of yeah. a different color. Every single one of us, we have to be bold enough to speak up. And, and I think that, man, we as followers of Christ, we have the perfect picture. We have the perfect ability to speak into it because we know, again, that we were all created with dignity. And so if there is any amount of disrespect, if there is any hint of racism that we see, if there is any you know, hint of anything like that, as followers of Christ, we can speak into that because we can say, no, that's not right. No, that's not wrong. I cannot stand for that. In good faith, I cannot be a person who just stands here silently and goes along with that comment or that look or, or, or that situation or that act of discrimination. We cannot do that. We have to be men and women that speak up, that are bold. And that may take a risk sometimes. That may be hard to do for some of us at times, but, but it's, it's a part of our calling is to love one another, and, and love isn't just an emotion. We're actually going to talk about that next week as we head into this new series, but it's a, sometimes it's an action. And so part of, of loving one another is speaking up, being honest, being bold in those situations if we ever see any time where somebody, you know, as Tori explained, these diff- different situations that he's had and, and many of us have had in this room speaking into that. So yeah. I'll let you wrap us up. Yeah, one of the, just one last little story to just emphasize that even more. So at the well, the church that we, I get to pastor at, 
and we're about 52% white, about 48% other. The other is really, really, really other, okay? All over the place, we have 19 different nations represented in our covenant community. So one of the nations that is actually really uh, big in our context is actually the Middle Eastern uh, region. And so we have a girl who uh, came to Christ here in the States, grew up as a Muslim in Pakistan. She moved here, then came to know Jesus. She's at our fellowship now. We have a girl from the UAE who came over. And one of the things that was so shocking to me, me not knowing much about that culture, I would go in to their context do some pastoral things, discipleship, things like that. And I would walk into there, and they would be so unbelievably hospitable, even as non-Christians. Now listen, as Christians, we have a command to be hospitable. So we try, and my wife and I think we are. We have people that live with us. We like are, are trying to always welcome people in, but not like that. They didn't even know the Lord yet. And they're opening their house and welcoming us in and bringing the nicest meat they have out of the freezer and and, and beginning to cook for us and and getting us drinks and bringing their nicest glasses. And it shamed me because as a believer, I'm called to be that way, but I'm not. Why? Because I'm an American. And in American context, we think hospitality is having one person over our house and then look at us, we're hospitable, right? But in a Middle Eastern context, in Jesus' context, It was giving everything you had to a stranger even at times. They shamed me, and I got to see the beauty of God when I humbled myself, made a friend with her, and then came in and got to see, wow, this is what God is like. God welcomes us in. God gives us everything that he has. God brings us into his house even though we don't really belong there and gives us the whole gambit. It is ours. Revelation even says we sit on the throne with him. What the heck does that mean? Because I don't belong there. But God is hospitable, and he brings us in. And I saw that through that culture. When we are humble, when we listen, when we ask questions, when we build relationships, it shows us about the glory of God. Here's how I want to end this, and I want you to think about this. Isn't Jesus Christ our perfect and beautiful representation of this sort of unity and diversity Because, see, Jesus was not like you. God was divine. The Son of Man was God, fully God. But Philippians 2 says that God put on flesh and became like us and even bore our sin to the point of death, even death on the cross, and didn't even count equality with God a thing to be grasped. God lived this out for us in his redemption of us. What if we live this out in our redemption with one another, knowing that we bear the image of Christ and that we want to live and act like him in the world around us? I pray, my prayer for you is that you would get to be unified and and even amidst your diversity and welcome in and be humble and ask and, and pave the way. Some of you need to be trailblazers and pave the way for that. Why? Because my deepest desire for you is to know and love the God of the universe, and you get it. This is part of the way that we get to see God is through the people he's created. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us.